Welcome to Joyfully Queer, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the vibrant colors of our community and the strength and resilience that lies at the heart of it all. I'm your host, Bethany, your guide to all things queer and joyful. I'm an activist, an artist, an interfaith spirituality and wellness coach, and a proud member of the LGBTQ community. Here at Joyfully Queer, we are exploring the beauty of our lives and identities. We're here to be a reminder that our joy is powerful, resilient, and absolutely worth celebrating. From the smallest victories to the grandest of achievements, we're diving deep into the moments that make our souls sing. We're here to have fun, explore the fullness of our stories, and celebrate the impact that being free to live our most authentic lives has, both in our community and in the world. We'll be chatting with incredible guests, exploring personal narratives, and unpacking the things that makes the queer experience special. So whether you're a member of the LGBTQ community or an ally, Joyfully Queer is the place for you. So let's get started. Welcome back to Joyfully Queer. I am so excited to introduce you to our special guest today, Kristen Jeffers. Kristen, why don't you introduce yourself to the folks at home? I am Kristen Jeffers. I am a self-described, well, the Black part and the queer part and aren't so self-described. That is, (laughs) I'm also disabled. That isn't so much like a self-description, but I will say the urbanism part, the crafting, and being an author are kind of things that I do. I have always been interested in how places work, how things like how cities work. And so that is basically um, how I really got into like urban planning. And then I realized down the line, I'm like, you know what, what I really like to do is like make sure people know that aren't necessarily urban planning nerds what's going on. And so in the midst of that, and I also really needed to build a house for myself, like a proverbial house. And mm-hmm. I think that's also, I'm realizing now, like years later, this was probably me building my queer house for myself. So the short version is this: I'm an author. I'm a Black queer feminist urbanist. I am a crafter, like a prolific crochet crafter. And I also sew and I'm getting a sewing table. Um, I'm excited. Um, And I'm based in D.C. I'm originally from North Carolina, which is probably what y'all can hear and tell. So, yes, I'm originally from North Carolina. I really claim it hard. I'm the one family member. Well, there are some cousins that are here, but in my immediate family, I'm the one who kind of did what we call in the Black community the Great Migration. Like, we still refer to it sometimes like that when we're moving for economic opportunity. Um, and I've lived in Kansas City. I've lived in Baltimore. I've lived around the D.C. region. I have not lived in the Virginia part, though. But that might be next. So You never know. You and I <laughs> met in Kansas City, which I'm yes. so thankful that we stumbled into each other. I'm definitely at a point where I can say that. Like, it's definitely been a journey. Um, I like to liken my work as a journey, even as we get into this book and everything, the book is a journey. That's why it's a workbook this time around. I spent years trying to write the perfect book and realize a work in progress. I am still, I still have 
the same whip I started on six months ago. I've been working on this hexagon card again. And for those of y'all who are also likewise in the craft world, just know that this is like one of those TikTok trendy crochet projects that everybody is doing. And I probably have been doing for those at home who aren't for yes. those at home who aren't crafters, a whip is your uh, work in progress. And I've yes, got similar of those too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like your your works in progress are like these adorable little like um cloth children. Mine are uh, my attempt to create a capsule wardrobe. Um to like I remember I remember when you had um, announced that you were starting to crochet and I remember when you launched your first iteration of your crochet brand and I was like, yes, this is what I'm trying to do too. Because at the time I had started my first iteration of my arts brand, which is Surface Patterns. Not that it's going away, that sewing machine is going to help with it. But yeah, I all, all of these um, journeys we go on, and I feel like that journey is to get us to the place of queer joy. Like that's, that's how I embody it. <laughs> and that's how I um, see it growing in myself. And I, it's really the, the writing of the book and the work, the work that I've done in urban planning and community development and urban design and real estate, like, not formally like, you know, but all those things are adjacent transit, transportation. Those are the things I needed. Like I needed to create this structure for myself. But when I'm inside that structure, it's all about the art and the design and like the intricacies of yarn weights and the intricacies of, of fabrics. And that is, that's where that joy emanates from me on the inside. But I want to make sure that everybody can have that space of safety, especially as queer people, LGBTQ people. That is that is part and parcel why I'm still doing the urban planning work. But what drives me more is from a design place. And so it's like, okay, writing, design, all those things. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, we're all multifaceted human beings. And I love seeing how the different facets of our personalities can all come together and it all like works and makes sense, even though it's different. Right. Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk more about all the work that you're doing, but I always start out with asking what brings you queer joy. It's really just being able to be in a space. Like when I'm on my partner's arm, when we are like out here in the world, you know, right now we're living in a relatively safe area of the world. Like, you know, we go to the grocery store and we're, we're not the only ones. But then when we go to the grocery store, and even if we are the only ones, it's just so normalized here that nobody's like looking twice. If anything, there's like this room to like delineate the types and everything. Like we have all of the the black types and then we have all of the white types and then all the other like other cultures that have like variations and gender expression and sexual identity like everybody is here in DC um but i i would say what has brought me a lot of queer joy uh, over the last few years is like it seems like i've made all the things that i've worn to pride like infamous i've had this infamous like um crochet skirt that's made a couple appearances at pride um, it was going to be a top, but I realized I wasn't shaping it well. So I had ended up making 
I just like, let me just make it a skirt and let me add a, um, a drawstring. And so being doing that. And then of course I support, I support like our liberated prides where we're taking that back for ourselves. It's not super duper corporate, but walking in corporate pride, being in the street, especially as someone who's an urban planner. And when we block off the streets is a big deal. When we block off this, when we open up the sidewalks, we have outdoor dining and that's a big deal. And so being able to walk down the middle of the street or in one year, a couple of years ago, we were driving, we, they drove us because um, my partner, Les won um, Capital Pride um, 2020 hero, 2022 hero. And so we had our own vehicle and just, um, yeah, yes, that <laughs> So How cool I, is that? Yes, it is so cool. And it was so cool for her to be there. And I did my part in it, but she she did all she did all the things to get there. She is the rock star that she is. And so just pe- and pe- people do come to up to us um because we also are both in the same industry at the moment. And so we have some folks who are like, oh my gosh, y'all are goals. How do y'all do it? Y'all look so nice. Y'all look like you're thriving. Like, yeah, because it's not like easy. We have struggles like anybody else, but we commit ourselves to each other. We commit to asking ourselves the questions we need. And yeah, so we're here. We're here. We're here and open. We are, we're at, we're willing to answer any questions and we're just 100% ourselves. Like, yeah, like DC is a town and a region that gives you room to be yourself. But then there's also a lot of room to like kind of silo into yourselves. So the one time when it feels like we're all together as a queer community is during the pride season. And of course, I wish I could march twice because our, our dyke march is like the, the day before. I wish I could march twice, but with the nature of my disabilities, I don't want to like risk, like there are days where like I go outside and I walk two and a half miles. And then the next day I'm invisible. Like now towards the end of last, this past year walking, I was like, okay, I'm hungry. Let me just, hopefully I'll be able to see my way home. Like the, these are things. So really just being able to be outside, be in the streets, have a, a baseline day of being able to be engaged and do things. And then, yeah, like I'm, I'm with someone I love and we're both doing relatively well. That brings me a lot of queer joy. That's wonderful. And I saw that you talked a little bit about um, meeting your partner in, in your new book. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we both were on, it's so funny, like when we're on Zooms like this now and we do so much on Zoom and yes, Zooms existed back in 2016. We just didn't care about it that much. It was kind of the newer thing because, you know, I remember like WebEx and just that interface. And I think Zoom was so cool because it was automatically like dark and moody. And I was like, okay, this must be the new thing. So we're on the Zoom and we're on the Zoom because we're all millennial trains fans. Like we really want Amtrak to do better and be better. We want certain rail lines to come back. We want more public transit. We want more rail public transit. So that's the kind of purpose we are on this meeting for. And at the time I was with my ex-partner who was male. And of course I am, am happily and lovingly pansexual and non-binary. And so 
I'm not that person to say that I've never loved my partners of other genders, but in this particular case, we were kind of winding down and the understanding wasn't there. And then I saw her and even though we weren't, we definitely were nowhere near that. I, I was like, okay, I could just see, I saw her and I knew her. And then the funny thing was my work with, um, my work with the Black Urbanist, my creation of the Black Urbanist site, she had Googled the site two years prior because she was curious about this concept of Black urbanism. And so fast forward, you know, we we had this Zoom and I, I remember seeing her on the Zoom and I was like, okay, this is a special person. I'm just going to asterisk her for that. Fast forward, she's one of the few people I know that's out and proud and very out and proud. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let her know one day that I'm queer and that's that's it. And, you know, definitely would like to talk more and everything. And the other thing was when I was still kind of exploring and allowing myself to come out, like I remember we had this conversation when you're like what I like to call the later letters, not that there are any lesser letters, but when you're not like in L and G and sometimes B, there are you don't always get all of the signals. You don't always get all of the things you need to help you understand your identity. It's much like when you're finding out that you're um, neurospicy, as I like to say. You don't always get the tools because people expect it to look and sound and feel a certain way. And so- yeah, you don't fit in that one specific box. Yeah, yeah. Nobody understands what to do with you, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, I would, that would have years where I'd be like, you know what? I, that's so hard. This must be what it feels like to be gay and not realizing that. Now, the interesting thing was I was, um, I came out to myself probably the first time in 1998, but this was 1998 and as a femme presenting person. And then I think I asked a girl and a guy out in middle school that year and it did not go well with either because I was also bespeckled. And this was before it was cool. This is before you could order like 10 pairs of glasses at three o'clock in the morning off of one of those random sites. And they just with all the shapes. Nobody was wearing glasses for accessory. Um, it was I also dealt with the this is what my voice sounds like, but they're not. Ex- my voice shouldn't sound like this because I'm black. Like my mom taught at the school. My mom was very um, she's very much. I would say black evangelical, but more black than evangelical in a lot of ways. Like if you understand that nuance of, yeah, she definitely followed a lot of conservative preachers, but there was no voting conservative. There was no, okay, these people aren't worthy. Like it's more of, okay, I'm a black woman and I I listen to the word and the word says that this is what it is. That's kind of how my mom is. And so there were a lot of factors that pushed me back into the closet, and of course, For anyone who does not remember the late 90s, I like to emphasize so much that Ellen's coming out and then kind of the appearance of the recloseting. Now, of course, there's been many people writing that, well, it wasn't like she completely failed, but to a 12, 13, 14 year old in a certain environment, you notice that certain people disappeared. And on top of that, a lot of Black media went away. Like you had this golden age of Black media, like things like Living Single, A Different World in the early 90s. By the early 2000s, 
it was girlfriends. And then we moved into the reality show era. And then when Insecure came back, we finally got that representation of Black life, much like there was an explosion of queer media, really kind of in that period between 1998 and the end of like marriage equality passing nationwide, the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, all those things. That was a rough time. And now if you, it was very much a time of if you didn't have to be, or if you could pretend not to be, then you weren't. And so I was in that bucket. Um, My partner was not. And so she basically lived the other side of the story where being out and proud through those years. And so I wanted to make sure when we got together as much as possible, I at least was sure that. I wanted to be in a relationship with her. I did not want to lead her on. I did not want to hurt her. I did not want to like play games. I was like, if I'm going to play games, let me play games like other game plays. Let's let me go. There's there's. And of course, by the time we fast forward, this is the mid 20 teens. And there's so many places where you can go. There's safe chat rooms. Because I remember that era. I remember the era of no safe chat rooms. There's safe chat rooms. There's safe online online and offline meetups. There's a sex positivity in general that is growing in the world where you can find the places to explore. And I was like, she's special. There will be no exploration. Now, of course, there's things we're learning together and getting through together. But a lot of that is also still more external. But I was like, when I start this, when I come to the table, we're going to um, come to the table together as one. like. And I'm going to know for sure that this, she's the one. So we, it was around the fall of 2018 when that happened. Um, I got back to DC. I had gone to work at a coffee house. I was living in Baltimore, actually. And I had been living in Baltimore from about half of 2017 through about 2018. And I was commuting back and forth. And it just so happened, like, relationships had ended. I moved back to DC. We did the typical lesbian thing of going to the the beer spot, the beer garden. And that was October 10th. That's how we met. Beer garden. And then, of course, I will say that the U-Haul took about six months. And, of course, we're in D.C. where, like, renting and renting rooms can just be all kinds of chaotic. And so um, I moved in with her a few months later. And then we just found this is our I'm sitting now in our first place we together so yeah yeah we're coming up on we just hit five years if you do the math of course we just hit five years and yeah and uh, in the book I talk a lot about how we both live into different presentations mm-hmm. and living in those two presentations definitely makes a difference and that was the part I really was looking forward to having in this workbook I realized okay yes this is it like there's not as much of a lens on how being trans and gender non-conforming and even non-binary when you're cis presenting mm-hmm. there, you see the world, you feel the world and you pick up on things differently. So I really wanted to like write this workbook and help people understand that when I walk home and when Les walks home, it may be a different, maybe a different story. And mm-hmm. these things still do happen. And then there's the intricacies of colorism. There's the intricacies of invisible versus visible versus dynamic disability. 
There are, can you afford something on a particular day or not? There is just what we're dealing with. There's like, there's this sense of imperialism and doom and climate change and everything else is kind of bearing on us. I wanted this book to be rooted (laughs) in what's really going on right now. And I wanted folks to have the tools to think about their organizing and their accompliceness, as it were, I'm, I think I made up a word there, but like, if you're going to be doing doing the work, let's think about, okay, you're a city dweller, or do you even want to be a city dweller? Was this something that was made for you to do? Like, were you forced to live in a certain place? Do you want to live there? Okay, you want to live there. Like, do you have the resources you need? Um, I called it defying gentrification because it like, it just lit up to me one morning when we moved in this space, like, we live in an area that was urban renewal like about 50 years ago. Um, this particular apartment was on the part that they kind of left it later. This uh, particular apartment didn't replace another apartment, but some of the ones across the street replace homes and businesses. This mm-hmm. building though also has a reputation. Like if you come to visit me, like the parking is like exorbitant. Like we have to think about, okay, if our friends come to visit us and they can't use public transportation. Now we're we're a block from a metro station, but if there's a mobility issue for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and of course we um the DC metro system is one of the most accessible in the country, but for a lot of sensor folks that have sensory issues. For folks that are where if a, if an elevator or escalator is broken, which does happen, um, they can't get there. And of course, as I mentioned before, my friendship range is in Richmond, Virginia and Baltimore, Maryland, and even like Philadelphia. And of course, a lot of folks from North Carolina come up and they have to have to kind of orient them sometimes. Now, others are like, yes, I came here to ride Metro. Let's do it. Others are like, where where are you going to put my car? Where do I'm going to find my car? How am I going to get to my car? And so this is the, the work. I wanted to build this workbook to kind of help them out as well. Um, so your book is called A Black Urbanist Journey to a Queer Feminist Future. And I was wondering yes. if you could define for the folks at home, um, what does Black ur- urbanism mean to you? So I crafted this thing called Black Urbanism and I... I think there were several people that first used it. Um, Melvin Mitchell, a well-known architect here in D.C., was one of the first. And there is an elder Black woman whose name escapes me at the moment, but is based in Pittsburgh, who really practiced that because it was just basically her nature of community development. But basically, there's a lot of ironies in the word urban. Urban is also often used as a euphemism for Black, especially in the media. Um, You hear about urban media. What they mean is like, contemporary Black media. Um, And even, I think there's like urban adult contemporary, which I guess is what they're calling soul music. So you have that even in an art space in the music industry. And then of course, there's all this emphasis on if you're Black and living in a city, you're in an underprivileged neighborhood. Like, oh, we used to call it a ghetto, but now it's just either the hood or the trap. Like that's your experience of living in close proximity with people. It also doesn't necessarily include that we have always created villages, especially when we had to recreate those villages, especially when we many of us were escaping from enslavement and creating the maroon villages. So really, I I feel like it's this sense of village creation 
as Black folks. Urbanization at its core means the coming together of people to create something. That's one of the definitions of urbanism and urbanization. Of course, a lot of people think about the skyscrapers, the public transit, the um, more of the, the density, like a lot of people. But just you can have urbanism in a small village when everybody's coming together and there's like everybody's building their homes together. They're bringing their farm product together. Or maybe it's like the village is this narrow line of houses and stores and stuff. And the farms are out back. And so I really wanted to kind of break through that. And so, yeah, the book is Defining Gentrification. It is a Black, queer, feminist, urbanist, disabled playbook. And I'm still working on my subtitle because we're we're a few months out for publication, but we're getting we're we're in we're getting ready to get in pre-orders and I'm starting the workshops and I'm building out a course for this because I do feel like there's some folks out here that are they're getting that pressure to just buy the house in the suburbs. They're facing getting declined from home loans. Um, they're facing, some folks are facing the pressure to drive because of course a home and a car in middle-class black communities is that status symbol. And even I've noticed this in middle-class queer black communities, especially here in DC, because we are, this is one of the handful of places in America where we get, there's consistent, stable, um, numerous opportunities to ascend and be in the black middle class. Um, I love this, um, the imagery of a queer feminist future. Like, I want to go live there. Yes, yes. I'm actually on one of a list of 100 contemporary urbanists. And so it really comes down to, I know I'm there because especially in the first eight or so years of the site, I was really telling my story and I was really very transparent about how cities, as they we were crafting them, were not working for Black folks and how we were more than just like underfunded dumps of land and whole housing we were given. We we deserve to have the housing work. And, you know, we we do need to think about social housing models and public transit and all those things. But the way it's been made and marketed and crafted, there is a clear racial and class element to it that makes us not want to use those kinds of communal spaces. And so that is what I'm that's what the book is about. It's about defying gentrification. It's about if you're running into needing to constantly get rejected for brand or, you know, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a, I talk about in the book, getting a goat, <laughs> um, <laughs> a goat that has no business. And of course, in this new apartment, we do not even have a tub. And in the old apartment in, in um suburban Maryland, we did. And of course, Maryland is one of the states that's known for their fiber festivals. And I was like, okay, I'll just take one home with me. We'll just put it in our <laughs> Honda Fit, just bring the goat home. I heard somewhere you only really need two goats to be happy. But of course, I would need more than one goat. And I'm already squeezing this goat. So I, I, I'm like, okay, well, I know I'm not the only one that thinks about growing plants growing, raising like livestock, using natural resources. And we don't necessarily, if you're in a hyper-urbanized area, that provision is not necessarily made for you. And then I go into, you know, having faith, not necessarily the faith that we grew up with, the faith that we associate with the Black church, but faith in ourselves. And yeah, 
that is that queer feminist future. It's that future where, you know, you don't, the, the masculine partner doesn't get paid more than the feminine partner. And we don't even make that distinction. We pay people for their labor from jump. So if you're wanting to charge this rate for an apartment, it's not like you've got two people coming together. One of them has it and one of them doesn't. And then you're deciding or people are like, oh, well, we'll pay this person less or, oh, that's great. We're progressive. I'm assuming that the feminine partner is going to have the baby and you're still going to be here. And we'll give you, I guess you call it parental leave now. Like a lot of these things that, even the most well-meaning people that are progressive around, okay, we understand that people need gender-affirming surgery and treatment. We put pronouns in our signature. We are, oh, we, 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 we were off on Juneteenth. Like these things, these little performative um, checkpoints, but day to day, we, less my partner and I, we know far too many people that are constantly fundraising. Mm-hmm. You know, with the cost of living, we're also facing like challenges at times. Like there's um, I'm fundraising for my projects and I'm having to get into a different state of mind. And sometimes it is infuriating that. It seems easier. I mean, all the levels of and levers of privilege, even the ones that I'll admit that I have, there's the ones I don't have. And those those make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. There is a distinction. And then likewise, as a person where I can't, I can't afford to get COVID. And if it, I do, I don't know what's going to happen. We've had so many close calls. We've mm-hmm. had so many between the two of us, multiple hospitalizations. I like to call it the whack-a-mole because we, we've had everything but. And just thinking about my... Um, the people that I used to follow, and I've I've been kind of active like tangentially in disability justice spaces pre-2020 and thinking about like how we just assume, oh, this person's in a wheelchair, they're they can't do anything. Oh, this person it um is on the um uh, has autism spectrum disorder. This means that they're not doing X, Y, and Z. Um, you know. I've had a parent, a parent that had bipolar and there were so many assumptions put on what he could and couldn't do. Uh, even thinking about aging and like, okay, well, what makes you old? Now I realize, oh, so there is a, there is a relationship here. And then thinking about sexuality. That intersectionality yeah. is, is such a huge yeah. component of our lives. And it sounds like of the work that you do too, you're bringing in so many different factors of the way that we live our lives. Um, and I really love, I've loved seeing you add that queerness to that um, in the last few years. And I'm wondering like, how do you see queerness um, influencing the work that you do as a black urbanist? And where do you see the queer joy aspect come into it? For me, it's like, okay, this, like the joy part comes from, okay, this is why I've always thought like this. This is why that there's, I've had this like positive obsession to borrow a little bit from Octavia Butler, like on certain things. Like I always, I think you would, especially considering growing up in the nineties and that where we were as a culture back then, what we were exposed to, of course, rent was one of the other key kind of queer cultural points and 
for a little bit my so-called life for like a hot minute. And so you see these exuberant, joyful people. Of course, ballroom is starting to be exposed a little bit to the broader community. Um, I grew up, um, the town, the city in um, North Carolina, I grew up in Greensboro is one of, was one of the beacons uh, for um, LGBTQ people. There was a very well-known like person who had built successful small businesses. I had so many teachers. So I, I had a, I have a, a cousin who's like an aunt because they're in that age range and they were out and proud for all those years. And so I'm like, of course, like I knew that once I found comfort with it, once I made peace with it, you know, I remember, of course, Rachel Held Evans. And that was kind of like my walkway into de- um, deconstructing my faith. And then once I kind of unpacked everything else, I'm like, okay, this is what was going on. And so, yeah, I cannot not talk about it. And so I kind of got quiet for a while because I was like, oh, no. If I talk about it, are people going to understand? I had to get to a place where I was okay with not being understood and hated again because I had kind of gone through it a little bit, even just saying that I was a Black urbanist. Like, you know, the parlance in the architecture, engineering, and consulting community for um, people of color is actually still minority. There is no irony in that. It is like there's federal laws and there are minority subcontracting laws. And so that kind of gives people the excuse, as it were, to just refer to themselves as minority. And so a lot of um, people of color, I would say Black, um, people of the Latin diaspora, um, people of the Asian diaspora, people of the African diaspora, um, indigenous folks to the United States, like all the all the folks who are non-white. And even folks that were um, LGBTQ and even some disabled folks, like we would all lump ourselves under this. And yet, in some cases, if we're counting census numbers, if we're going by population, yes, as a population term, we might be minorities, but we are not minority in who we are. I love that term, the people of the global majority, because I'm like, we're not, my, we should not be minor yeah. in how we express ourselves. We should be 100%. Like there is no percentages of us as a person. Like if we want to go back to three-fifths a person, that's that's on you. But I am not going back to three-fifths a person. And not centering my queerness in many ways would have been me going back to three-fifths a person in another realm. Yeah, like being mm-hmm. Black in the industries is pretty well known and accepted. But there's still a measure of, a respectability respect I get hit with respectability politics in like three on three different intersections right now and so I'm like this is what we need like there's plenty of people talking about the bare minimum of DE&I but justice and belonging liberation um ending those things I have to center my work like I have to and it's and I've always like been 100%. I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. I've always been very fiery. And I was like, of course, I'm not going like not sell anybody. But as I mentioned before, when I met my partner, just like I wanted to be sure and certain with her. I wanted to be sure and certain with the world as much as I could be because I knew that this was going to change my life explicitly. 
And I'm just now reconnecting with my family. Of course, there was some time away from my family. And this year, this calendar year, I brought Les home and she met several members of the family. I'm appreciative for when we were all kind of at home, sheltering in place, waiting to see what was going to happen and how we were going to be able to, what kind of tools we were going to get to deal with the COVID um, onset. And so during that time, that's really when I got the courage to get on the Black Urbanist blog. That's kind of the predecessor and the kind of the heart of this work that I do. I got on that blog. I got on my newsletter. I wrote my coming out letter. Of course, a lot of it's based in like faith based because a lot of I knew it wasn't necessarily going to be a challenge in my work life other than people who are still struggling with, for lack of a better term, like the flamboyance and the authentic but I will say authenticity mm-hmm. of folks that are beyond and who do not contain themselves in the gender binary and when it runs up against this concept of professionalism that is where that's why I was like okay I'm not going to be that person that's like oh well I think I might have seen her with a partner I think I might have Wait, I think that might be a ban on her Apple Watch. I don't know. No, I was like, no, I'm absolutely, there's going to be no question. You're thinking about how easy it is to erase the things we don't talk about, the things that we don't like step up about. I also think about how easy it is for me to get erased even in my blackness, depending on how I wear my hair on a particular day. Like, and the vocal quality of my voice, I'm like, okay, no, we're, we're going, people are going to know that I am black. People are going to know that I am queer. I Now, you'll definitely know if I tell you, hey, I can't stay in this room. The lights are too bright that I have a disability. But I'm going to tell you that, yes, I'm wearing these glasses. And yeah, there's things like certain things I can't eat, certain things I can't look at. Um, my legs do give out sometimes. And I'm already living with an autoimmune um, illness. I'm not trying to pile on more. I'm having to like manage my expectations with all of this. And I want us to be um, freed and liberated starting in the body. That's so beautiful. I'm so (laughs) thankful that you're here in the podcast with me today. Um, And it's about time to wrap up, but I'm wondering where can people find you? How can they get your book? How can they learn more about the work that you're doing? So if you go to KristenEJeffers.com, that is a great place to start learning more about me and everything that I'm doing. Now, if you're more interested in like my fiber craft, chrispattern.com and I'm at chrispattern on TikTok and Instagram. Mm-hmm. So yes, kristenejeffers.com is the, the nucleus of everything. Perfect. You can start there and you can find whatever you need of me. And I'm going to put all the links in my uh, show notes too. So go to the show notes. And give them a click and you can find Kristen at all the different places that they just talked about. Glimmer. Welcome back to my favorite part of the podcast. This part of the show is a time to lift up the things that make us smile and celebrate moments that remind us all that even in the midst of life's challenges, there's always a glimmer of joy. Now, I've been re-watching Our Flag Means Death on HBO Max this week, and it is just bringing me the most queer joy. I mean, really, is there anything better than a story about gay pirates? 
If you haven't watched it, Taika Waititi as Blackbeard is freaking incredible because he's a comedic genius and the entire cast is just fantastic. Now, at at this moment in time, at the time of recording this podcast, I have not seen season two yet. Um, So I'm very excited to find out what happens. And most likely there's going to be an episode about it at some point in time of the podcast. Uh, So stay tuned for my podcast episode at some point in time um, where I talk about our flag means death because it needs to happen. Anyway, that is my glimmer for this week. And if you would like to submit a glimmer to the podcast, you can do that by emailing me at joyfullyqueerpod at gmail.com. If you liked this episode and want to help the Joyfully Queer community grow, there are a few things you can do. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and leave a positive review for Joyfully Queer on your favorite podcasting site. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Joyfully Queer and on Instagram at Joyfully Queer Podcast. I truly want this podcast to represent our community. So if you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you have a topic that you think would make a great episode, please email me at joyfullyqueerpod at gmail.com. Until next time, this is your host, Bethany, wishing you a queertastic day.